Dr. Crystal here. Is your dog suffering from joint issues? Stay tuned to learn what can help with our veterinarian guest, Dr. Kevin Connolly. You're listening to Live Foreverish, a show dedicated to helping you live just a little longer. Here's your hosts, Dr. Mike and Dr. Crystal Gosser. So, Dr. Mike, dogs and joints, um, rest in peace, my dear Winston. Oh, I remember Winnie. Yes, he suffered from joint issues. Yeah. Um, and I'll have to tell you such a sweetie. What every time he would get down, we would bring him back. Yeah. And we use nutrients. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. Um, you went through that for a long time, long right? Time yeah. For yeah. probably five years. Five years of nursing him and he would just come back and, and be able to run and play. But you know, towards the end of his life we we couldn't and that's there comes what we a knew. Point. There, there comes a there point. was a point yeah. where even, you know, the the veterinarian said that it, it was time, and uh, but it's something that many dogs deal with. Yep, and yep. nutrition can help. Right, I it, it is. I mean, I think it's fair to say that and this is not going saying anything against anybody, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, there a lot of dogs probably get put down maybe earlier than if people just understood that there's help, right? Yes. And, and and so again, I'm not saying anything against anybody, but. If they realize that they could do something, mm-hmm. you could add a couple years. Yeah, so. so we're happy to have our guest, Dr. Kevin Connolly. He's an assistant professor of veterinary technology and equine science at Pierce College. He is a graduate of the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University and did his graduate work in biochemistry and molecular biology at UCLA where he studied transmissible antibiotic resistance and determinants of bacterial infectivity. Wow. He completed a residency in internal medicine at the Marion DuPont Equine Medical Center at Virginia Tech. He practiced companion animal and equine medicine in both primary care and referral centers. His interests include small animal and equine clinical nutrition, and preventative medicine. Dr. Connolly, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, we are. We're so happy to have you on. Uh, we have been looking for a vet for a long time. Yeah. Remember, Dr. Mike, we started this search maybe a couple of years ago. Well, because we wanted to talk about um, dogs, cats, common pets, you know, but it was like we were thinking quarterly, like a quarterly show. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Connolly, if this goes well, <laughs> we, maybe we'll no have you on more. Let's see. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm always curious to hear how people found their calling. Clearly, oh, yeah. animal nutrition, animal health is your calling. Uh, what inspired you to focus on veter- veterinarian medicine? Well, I find my calling took a took a little bit of time, but um, I I like the challenge of the uh, of the field. Um, you know, there's so many different diverse species that we work on, uh, all with different health problems. Some similarities, of course, but um, just the you know the the different things you have to do every day as a veterinarian, being an advocate for for animals, being an educator for for owners, um, and then really trying to to uh, uh, make sure that we we preserve their welfare as, as much as we can and make sure that they have um, enriched, uh, high-quality lives. Um, plus the fact that animals don't necessarily speak to you um, adds a little bit more to the challenge. But, I, you know, I, I think that mental stimulation for me really helps. 
That's pretty, yeah. Uh, animals don't speak, but sometimes humans, as a clinician, they lie. <laughs> anyway, animals don't lie. Animals are too sweet. Oh, no. <laughs> they are on. Um, yeah. So wait, you uh, just but what do you prefer the most? Because you have a lot here in your mm-hmm. in your bio, mm-hmm. small animals, horses. Like, what? Where's your like? Where's your main focus? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, it's it, it's hard to put my finger on any one thing I like the best. I mean, the, the the different types of medicine I practice have been so different. I mean, there's something exciting about working with uh, with horses. Um, I, I worked in an emergency, uh, like an emergency room setting. Um, so the past piece of that and trying to get answers quick as possible and stabilize animals, that's fun. But then, you know, I also liked working in small animal general practice too. Um, you know, you, a lot more interaction with owners, helping them kind of work through problems, but also, uh, you know, when it's general practice, you, you get more of an opportunity to, to address problems before they come up and educate owners on, on the best way to maintain their animal's health. So I guess I don't have one particular aspect of medicine uh, that I like, but I mean, that's the benefit of vet medicine is that there's so many different avenues that you can pursue. And even when you go down one, it doesn't preclude you from, from uh, right. trying uh, others out as well. Wait, when you I just um, before you go on, I just want to. When you say small animal, I mean I, I think I'm going to sound stupid here, but I don't like I think of a chihuahua. I think your small animal to you is just smaller than a horse. Is that right? I mean I don't. I, what, how do you define it? It's kind of an odd. It's it's kind of a, a industry. I guess you'd say industry terminology and a little little arbitrary. But they we tend to use the term small animal when we're talking about dogs and cats. In large animals, when we talk about horses, goats, cows, uh, etc., um, okay. it, it, the, the size part is, like I said, a little arbitrary because you know a miniature horse can be you know smaller than a than a, a Great Dane, right? A, a, goats are smaller than average-sized dogs, so um, it, it really has less to do with size, and it's a way we kind of distinguish between gotcha. you know the companion okay. animals which tend to be more like the carnivores and then the, and then the, the larger animals, which tend to be more production type animals. Oh, gotcha. okay. 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 I was sense. wondering the same thing, Dr. Mike. So yeah. I'm happy you asked. There you go. <laughs> so uh, we're going to focus on specifically dog health and dog health as it relates to joint health. Our sponsor life extension um, has identified that many pet o- owners are concerned about the joints, uh, the health of their dog's joints. And I would like for you to give us insight on what are some of the varying joint issues that dogs face. Yeah, well, you know, joint joint issues are a super common problem. They're also a, a very diverse problem. So, um, you know, we uh, I, I think when people think joint issues, a lot of times they kind of lock themselves into thinking that it's uh, osteoarthritis, and and certainly that is, is a, a huge um, a huge concern. But joint issues range from developmental problems, so especially in large dogs that tend to grow very fast, and if we don't, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pay attention to their nutrition uh, as they're growing, you know, there's more likely for them to develop uh, problems as they grow very quickly. Um, there's also the congenital type problems um, in the genetic problems, animals that are just born, you know, a poor set of genes that lead to things like dysplasia where the the hips or elbows don't develop 
uh, correctly. And then there's plenty of traumatic joint injuries as well. Uh, you know, probably one of the most common types of surgery, um, uh, orthopedic surgery in vet medicine is repairing uh, cruciate ligaments, um, which are, you know, like the the, the ACL in a, in a human athlete, uh, you know, dogs tend to tear those pretty, pretty readily. So um, joint, joint issues kind of span um, a, a wide, a wide variety of etiologies. Yeah. So I, I, uh, um, Dr. Connolly, my, uh, my dog, Charlie, you know, Charlie, yes, Charlie. um, he's a pretty big, uh, he's an English golden. So they call him cream retrievers or something like that. He was growing okay. so fast as a puppy that he got his, his, his growth plates were inflamed or something. I, I know there's a name for it or whatever. And they were really concerned that, that, that would lead to bad joints early in life. Mm-hmm. So far, he's he's four, four and a half, and he seems perfectly fine. But we we keep an eye out on him for that. Do you remember what do what is that called, Doctor Connolly? Do you know? Um, it could it could be pan osteitis. Um, I don't know if that's you know there's a there's a a few different conditions, but um, uh, that's certainly one of them where uh, bones and joints become inflamed, um, just because of rapid growth. Yeah, he went from like like a small little puppy to like almost adult size in a couple months. I mean, he just went, Phew. but that makes me think. So do you find more of the joint issues in the larger dogs versus the smaller dogs and, and, and breeds too, right? And breeds, right. Different breeds. Yeah. And not, well, it, uh, joint issues are pretty, you know, it depends on the joint issue, of course. Um, but, you know, certainly for the the larger breed dogs that uh, that grow very fast, you know, that if we don't pay attention to uh, their nutrition and they grow too quickly, you know, they can develop joint uh, joint issues. But even like the smaller dogs, small dogs um, genetically tend to get this uh, condition called patellar luxation where their kneecaps kind of pop out of place. Um, and it could be a progressive disease. You know, they, their knees tend to lock up when they walk, but down the road, if that's not addressed, that can lead to things like osteoarthritis. So it's, it's not that one particular size or breed, um, is more predisposed to joint problems in general, just that each breed kind of has their own, uh, predispositions. Um, and sometimes the, the causes are very different between the large and small breeds, but we're talking about joint health in general. You know, any any dog could potentially get it. Wow. So I and I would imagine the same rules that apply for humans apply for dogs. If you don't move, you have to use <laughs> gotta use it. A, a body in motion stays in motion, yeah. a body at rest stays in rest. And the reason I say that, Winston was lazy. <laughs> he, he even was younger, around. even younger. Even as a, a young I mean, he was when you would get him up and get him moving, but he preferred not to do to <laughs> be in his doggy bed uh, on the sofa, just a lazy hound all the time. And I always <laughs> used to tell my husband, "Come on, we have to get him get up him and moving." Him. Yeah. Does the does the same idea apply with dogs? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So certainly, um, certainly, moving around, strengthening muscles can help to project to protect the joints, but also I think people underappreciate, and I, it's just the same phenomenon is true in people too, just the effect of weight. Um, so, you know, we don't have BMIs yeah. in dogs or, or uh, but, you know, but we use a different sort of scale to judge body condition called body condition scoring. And that, you know, animals that are overweight 
you know, tend you're they're putting a lot more stress on those joints, and so, so moving around helps maintain a good body weight. Also, proper feeding as well, and I think it's it's underappreciated because you know I I think we tend to you know associate uh, our, our love of dogs with with giving them more to eat, but um, if we really love them that much, we would try and keep their weight at something uh, something more healthy um, and reduce the risk of problems developing down the road. So, so I mean, obviously, if your dog's limping, there's a problem. Go yeah. get that checked. But it's I know I, I think with dogs, it's it's not always obvious, though, right? Like it's what what are some of the other signs that we could look for that might you might be like mm, that could be a joint issue. Yeah. So it's not it, it, as you said, it's not always apparently obvious. Uh, um, you know, some dogs are very. Uh, um, will show you their, their pain by limping and that, you know, things like that are easy to pick out. But, um, you know, some of the more common things, especially for more subtle degenerative diseases like osteoarthritis, it might start off as, you know, reluctance to do the kind of things they normally do. They don't want to get up as much. They don't want to walk as long as they normally do. Um, you know, reluctance to go up and down stairs. Um, sometimes it can be even more subtle that, you know, they just seem kind of withdrawn, um, they can even get somewhat aggressive if the if the pain enough. So it's not it's not always the limping dog that's the concern. It's the dog that's just it's reluctant to partake in the kind of things that it normally enjoys. Oh, so just a change in behavior. Yeah, kind yeah. of you have to kind of notice. You know, know know your dog, right? Right, and yeah. people do. Most, you, most you, times. you know pretty quick when there's something uh, <laughs> yes. that something don't look right, Charlie. You know. So I want to transition to nutrition. The big debate. I'm just going to put it There's out there. There's a debate out there on about food, nutrition. About oh. yes, with dog nutrition. I mean, you you go to the pet store unless you buy your food online. There's so many options, and yeah. then you see. So we always use. Um, well, I won't say the brand, but you have these grain free brands. Yeah, and these brands You're where right. they're it's trying debate, yeah. to to say the dog needs to eat how it would eat out in the wild meat dogs yeah. need meat and it, i believe dogs but need veggies too. Y- yeah well yeah veggies and even some grains aren't so bad and then there's the raw diet now oh, that's yes. huge so yeah and we, then you know we have a guest that can help us with all I, this I yes, me, you keep talking about <laughs> it <laughs> so can you tell us about your uh what what would you or what do you suggest uh we should be feeding our dogs to keep their joints healthy. Well, this is a di- this is a, a difficult one to wade into because, as you said, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, of, of controversy. Um, what I can tell you is that the kind of things that um, that we've at least shown scientifically is that dogs certainly need a set of nutrients, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, the the nutrient requirements you know the USDA comes up with our nutrient requirements for for humans and for for dogs we have a set as well the National um, Research Council and uh, and AFCO which is a, um, a food labeling organization um, have you know we've established they've established uh, the kind of nutrients that a dog needs and they actually make it kind of easy um, at, 
uh, AFCO has uh, requires dog food manufacturers to put on on labels, you know, what the diet is appropriate for. So if the diet contains all the nutrients that are required for a dog at a particular life stage, you know, whether they're growing, whether they're adults, whether they're older, um, these these statements basically cover and uh, and uh, let the the consumer know that um, all the necessary nutrients uh, are there. If we're talking about like, uh, you know, the more specialty or the, you know, individual diets like the the raw versus the, the you know, dry extruded versus the wet. Um, again, you know, there's there's controversy there, too. And some people swear by raw diets and that is closer to, you know, what a what a dog might eat in the wild. Um, first of all, there's really no, you know, our our domestic dogs are not are not wolves anymore. They haven't been for 40,000 years or so. And if you look genetically, um, dogs and probably because of the process of domestication and growing up near, um, uh, uh, near, near people, um, have developed genetically a, a much more rigorous, uh, way of, of digesting carbohydrates. So dogs actually have many more starch digesting genes than, than people do. Um, dogs can secrete in their saliva. Their saliva starts to break down carbs while they eat them. So um, that's one way they differ with dogs. So they, they, can, they can actually uh, subsist pretty well and does derive a lot of nutrition from from carbohydrates. Now, obviously, you don't want to load up their diet full of starch because that's not what they need, but they can, they can certainly, uh, do well, do well on them. And the, you know, the grain, I know the grain free fad kind of came out, um, and there's really nothing wrong with it. Um, they have shown some associations though, between grain free diets and heart disease in dogs, and it's a reversible, um, it, it's a reversible observation. So, and there's, and it's not because dogs need grains to survive, but there's something in mm. the composition of grain free diets that, um, might be suppressing, uh, some other nutrients they are thinking maybe taurine, which is an amino acid that, uh, grain free diets, uh, prevent the dog from absorbing it perhaps, um, which down the road can lead to a particular type of heart disease. Um, when you, sw- when you add that nutrient back, or if you switch them to a, a, a non-grain free diet, they tend to do okay. And then there's obviously the, the, the raw diets and, uh, raw diets, um, studies have shown they do have some benefits. I mean, they, they, they are digested, um, somewhat better than, than uh, extruded commercial diets, you know, the typical kibble and, in wet food now you know that the degree by which uh of which that they're digested isn't you know it's not super significantly higher but you know it's something um raw diets might also increase microbial diversity so the the biome that the good bacteria growing in the Mm -hmm. in the gut Uh, you know the 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 flip side is is that um that they're raw so they have the potential of carrying um uh, carrying, you know, potentially uh, harmful bacteria. So, you know, that that's controlled for when you buy a, a commercial raw diet. But if you're preparing your own, it's always something to, to consider. But I would tell everyone, no matter what diet you feed, making sure it's balanced is the most important thing. I yeah, think people, you know, they, they think wolves and they think I should be feeding them a lot of meat. But, you know, dogs have evolved and they right. require, you know, a wider nutrient profile. And if you think about it, 
when a wolf is, you know, when wolves feed in the wild, they're not eating muscle meat, right? Which isn't, doesn't have, it's got a lot of protein in it, but not a lot of other nutrients. You know, dogs, uh, wolves in the wild are eating the entire animal. So they're eating, mm. you know, organs, they're eating intestinal content. So they're actually getting a pretty wide range of nutrients, which again, is not reflected in, you know, when you, when you feed, a, you know, a dog, chicken or beef yeah. or, yeah. So uh, nutrient balance is important. And thankfully that, you know, there are, there are organizations like NRC, AFCO that, that, that look at the kind of nutrients that a dog needs and can help you by labeling packages um, or establishing these nutrient requirements. So you can, you can kind of put together a diet or purchase a diet that uh, hits all the marks that hits all, uh, you know, provides all the essential nutrients that the dog needs. Mm-hmm. It, 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 speaking about joints though, specifically mm-hmm. as, as Charlie gets older and I, you know, I got, I start thinking about his joints what 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 are the nutrients should I be looking for? Listen, I, I I've been doing this a long time. I know what humans need. Is it the same thing? So, what what are those dog joint nutrients I should I should look for on labels and maybe even a separate supplement or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're pretty similar to um, to the nutrients that are um, that we use in people. And if you think about it, you know our you know. Uh, Human medicine, veterinary medicine are, are pretty interrelated. You know, we uh, develop bone development in the dog and joint development in the dog is very similar to to people, and that's why we sometimes even use you know animals, domestic animals, as models for for human joint development. But some of the things that um, that have shown some promise nutrient wise, um, certainly the omega three fatty acids, um, probably the most studied and uh, most reliable uh, joint nutrients. Uh, so I think the last time I checked, maybe 2021, 20, uh, studies on DHA and EPA, the omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil, um, uh, studies on them in dogs, all of which showed positive results, um, mm-hmm. on, uh, improving mobility, uh, reducing the reliance on, uh, medications for inflammation. So that's certainly one to, to look at. I, I know a lot of people go to the glucosamine and chondroitin. Um, you know, that some of the data on that has been mixed. I would, you know, I, I suggest to people, it doesn't hurt to try it. You know, it's, if you think about it, dogs have been getting it in their diet, dogs and wolves for, you know, for, for eons, you know, chewing through bone and, and getting cartilage, um, et cetera, hasn't had, you know, as, been as successful in nutrients um, in studies as it maybe has in people, but there has been some positive data, so it's certainly something to to look at. Those two nutrients are ones that uh, typically get uh, put into to dog foods or fortified into dog foods, but there's certainly other nutrients out there that um, aren't aren't normally found in foods, but can be found uh, as supplements. So you know. A, a, Few of them are some of the same ones that we that we use in people, or that have shown some success in people, like the boswellia and the green lip mussel, the avocado uh, saponifiables. Um, you know, I've all had studies in in dogs that have been you know fairly su- successful at uh, improving their mobility, uh, reducing signs of pain. Um, sometimes, you know, combined with uh, conventional medications, um, have enabled. Uh, us to reduce the amount of medication that we give the dog, which in the end is, you know, is going to help it out um, as well. Um, there's a, um, 
there's a, a nutrient out there called uh, palmitoyl uh, ethanolamide, uh, PEA, which is kind oh, of a yeah. yeah, it's kind of a, a little bit newer. It doesn't have as much research in in dogs, so, you know. It's something that we're they're just starting to look at, but the the couple studies that they've done on it is um, have been pretty uh, pretty encouraging. So um, it's actually um, it, it's a it acts on cannabinoid receptors. So the same way like that CBD does, um, if you guys are familiar with that. Um, but it's uh, in, in acting on these cannabinoid receptors, it reduces pain, but also can reduce some of the uh, the tissue damage, you know, cartilage damage. Um, so um, it's, you know, interesting. I, there's not as many commercial products out there. As a matter of fact, I, I think I only know of a I've only seen a couple of them, but you know, that's, that's one I would, I, I would keep probably keep an eye on. Cause that's, that's certainly one that we, uh, yeah, we, we, we know PEA. We've talked about that a lot. Okay. Um, a lot of good, a lot All of right. good human studies and joint pain and other yeah. kind of pain conditions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, with, when I opened and I talked about Winston, that's what we gave Winston for a long time. Really? Okay. And it was, it was just a miracle nutrient. For wow. Him. Even his, his, vet said would keep giving it to him and we were able to um to reduce the medication you know that nice. that the vet had him on and we would add in the the PEA and and give him some for with his breakfast and with his dinner and it worked it was great it, it worked that's nice that's PEA yes. yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of good evidence Dr. Connolly you said did you say avocado oil is that what yes, I, I did I hear I that avocado um, the avocado saponifiables that, you know, the, the, the same, not, not the oil, but the same, uh, the same extract that they use in people. There's a couple of studies on that in dogs as well. Oh, one of the, yeah. One of the, uh, you know, one of the, the difficulties of course, uh, in kind of assessing all these nutrients is a lot of times that, um, you know, studies will combine multiple nutrients together. Mm. So f- certainly for things like fish oil and for, for glucosamine chondroitin, there's enough studies where they've been studied on their own that we can, you know, attribute the effect to those. Um, but for others like the green lip muscle, Boswellia, et cetera, usually given in combinations. And the combination, um, you know, was – uh, worked very well in in dogs in these studies, but it's it's when you mix a lot of things together, it's hard what's, to what's really working, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 it's exactly. not a clean so study. <laughs> no, but but you know, it, again, it kind of points us in a, in a direction, um, you know, towards what kind of things might might work, and so if the combination works, you know, you can you can anticipate that it would would have a similar effect um, if you know if if given to to your pet. Yeah, so that's a nice nutrient roundup. Yeah. Omega-3s. The avocados. Avocado PEA, extracts. PEA. Some glucosamine. glucosamine throw, throw some that in doesn't there. Hurt. Yeah. That's, that's a nice. So how, how would someone know the doses of, of those? Or would you just follow the whatever you see on your label? Yeah, it's probably, that's probably the best. I mean, there, there's certainly resources you can read through the, uh, you know, read through studies. You can go to university website, websites. They can, they can give you, you know, the individual doses that were used in particular studies that were successful. Though, if you think about it, the dog body sizes are very, very diverse, you know, mm-hmm. so you have, you know, you know, five pound teacup poodles and, you know, hundred and 
20 pound mastiffs so that (laughs) wide range, you know, so that the the dosing becomes a little more of a challenging, uh, a a little more of a challenge. Um, A lot of these products, you know, will dose by weight. So a certain number of tablets, and it's probably the best place to start is to, to kind of follow what, what is on, what is on labels for, um, you know, for existing, for existing uh, dog uh, dog products, uh, just because it's not, you know, because the, the small animal obviously doesn't need as much as the, as a large animal does. So to save yourself from doing all that math, keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, I know you are, you have a focus in clinical nutrition. Do what other veterinarians, would they be able to be a guide? I mean, oh, good I, I question. guess it's, we could just send, Tell tell our listeners check with your vet. Check with your vet. You if not, call Doctor Connolly. <laughs> <laughs> but but are yeah, all vets kind of trained in these um, in these nutritional add-ins? It's becoming a, it's becoming more um, it more common in vet school curricula curricula. Is that the plural? Um, Close enough. Uh, <laughs> Close enough. Um, it's becoming a lot, a lot more common to have an emphasis in nutrition. So, um, and certainly because all these products are out there, um, just like with human supplements, you know, people can walk through a, a pet store aisle, look look online, and pick these up. That a lot of us just in order to keep on top of what's what's out there, um, you know, uh, tend to tend to do our research on on these individual nutrients, just so that we can you know have have uh, fruitful conversations with, with owners about what different things do. And, and, uh, so I guess the, the short answer would be, um, a lot of veterinarians, um, um, have either had some training or, uh, certainly have, uh, uh, trained on their own, um, in order to be familiar with a lot of these nutrients and their, their effects. So talking to your vet is definitely a place to start. And, you know, most veterinarians, um, are, are pretty good at, at tracking down information for you. Um, if it's something they don't know off the top of their head. They are. Vets are always so nice. <laughs> what, never, do, what, MDs I've aren't? Never, <laughs> no, don't answer that. Dr. Mike's a Just, medical doctor, so that. we know yeah, I figured. your experience yeah. I know, can I know, vary. I know the truth. Yes, you're right. You're right. I've never met a, a veterinarian that wasn't just so kind to the core. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Dr. Conley, for coming on. Oh yeah, absolutely. This was uh, this was fun. Did I do okay? <laughs> you did excellent. We we always like to close with kind of a general a, a general statement. So, as a veterinarian, what are the the top two or three things that you wish all pet owners knew? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good question. I can I can kind of probably sum it up in the top one thing is that. Okay. Um, uh, you, you know, regular, this is an, and this is not a plug for the industry, but, but regular, uh, regular vet visits and preventative medicine can go, can go a long way. Um, there's, uh, so many potential diseases that dogs get. And if you think about some of the, the most common ones and the most debilitating, like the arthritis and the heart disease and kidney disease, a lot of these can be caught fairly early. and um, 
And if they are, you know, there's things we can do either through medication or nutrition to kind of slow the process of some of these. I mean, we haven't, you know, just like in human medicine, we haven't necessarily come up with a, a you know, a, a linchpin cure for, for heart disease and kidney disease and arthritis, et cetera. But we can slow them down um, pretty significantly and give dogs a lot more healthy, happy years uh, just by catching things early. And the only way to do that really is, is regular you know, uh, regular visits and regular examinations. And it doesn't have to be multiple times a year. I think that, you know, the, the American Animal Hospital Association recommends like, you know, for your average adult dog, you know, uh, you know, a visit once a year. And it doesn't, I know a lot of people, there's controversy with vaccines and medications, et cetera, but not, you know, as, as an industry, you know, we try to do the, the best, the best for the animal. You know, we take an oath just like, just right. uh, like Dr. Mike did, um, we, you know, we take an oath to do, to do the the best we can for uh, for animals, and you know, it, a, a lot of veterinarians are are, are very um, amenable to you know to coming up with customized plans for animals. I don't necessarily vaccinate every animal that come in. Some of them are at risk. Some of them are not, are not. So you know, we mm-hmm. we do what is appropriate each time, and so without going. To the vet, you're you, you know you're potentially missing out on heading a lot of diseases off before they become problematic. I like that. That's, that's a nice way to end. That is that <laughs> is a, an awesome way to end. You're listening to Live Foreverish with our guest, Dr. Kevin Connolly. Dr. Connolly, do you have any social media handles you would like for our listeners? <laughs> Did you to say know? handles? You get, social media, you get fancy. <laughs> how can, I, how can I, our I, listeners follow? Do do you share any inspirational pet? quotes <laughs> pet memes <laughs> they're always cute <laughs> yeah you know and I, I i probably should i i i don't i, I suppose if you want to just <laughs> i am <don't>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i try to maintain a low profile no um i uh i mean i i suppose you could you know pierce college you can find out what we're doing over there by going to the to the Pierce College website, but um, I don't really have any other social media. I'm sure if someone really needed to reach me, they can probably call you guys up, right? (laughs) (laughs) Call us if you have questions for Dr. Kevin Connolly. Thank you for joining our show today. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me on. All right. And if you love this episode, there's many, many more. Over 400. So. Over 400 at liveforeverish.com. You can head there. Give us a comment. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so that you never miss a show. Again, that's liveforeverish.com. And our sponsor, Life Extension, would like to just say thank you yeah. for being loyal supporters you got a great of, audience. of the Live Forever show. What, hey, Go to the website, lifeextension.com, place an order. At checkout, type in the code podcast. Podcast. To receive 10% off your entire order. If it's $50 or more plus free shipping, (laughs) say that code again. Podcast. That's it. Podcast uh, at at lifeextension.com. And again, liveforeverish.com. You can find the audio versions of our show, but... If you would like to see, if you can watch, you can yes, watch. You can watch it. YouTube, YouTube, the uh, YouTube channel, the Life Extension Wellness, Wellness. YouTube, YouTube channel. channel. Yep, you'll find the video versions of our podcast. So we appreciate all of your support. I'm Dr. Crystal for Live Foreverish, and that's Dr. White. Thanks for listening. Podcast.